What's a god? They're real if you believe in them. So who are you? You wouldn't believe in me if I told you. This is my man, Shadow Moon. He does not know our world. I'm easing him in. You've gotten yourself mixed up in some really weird shit, Shadow. You think I'm spent? You're as forgotten or as unloved as any of us. I'm doing just fine. You're trying to start a war? We're at war already, and we're losing. Who's after you? Times, they are changing. We need you to fight them to show them who we are. They are gods, for God's sake! So what's the plan? War. Deliver me. Deliver me. None of this feels real. It feels like a dream. And things are never going back to the way that they were. It will be glorious, win or lose. Hi, welcome to Mindless Drivel on American Gods, uh, covering Season 1, Episode 3, Head Full of Snow. I'm your usual host here, Scott McGregor, and uh, we've got a new co-host for the American Gods recaps this week, a guy we just recruited over on the Preacher Cast a little while ago, Pat Delmore. So good to have you here, sir. And I was very pleased to learn that you are a book reader of it, you know, um... I actually only got through about two thirds of it, uh, and kind of wiki cheated the rest of it because I've lost my copy, and so I will end up reading the rest of it eventually. But that didn't really matter for this season because it's just crawling through the book, and we're like maybe page twenty you know, at this point. Yeah. It feels like, but I'm very okay with that. Uh, so let's uh, jump into our. Re- oh, how long ago? Uh, when did you read the book? I guess we should ask you. Um, first time right when it came out back in 2001. Oh, wow. Back from OzFest, went to Barnes & Noble and picked it up. Nice. My first edition. I listened to, I've listened to the audio dramatization, which is, you know, all different actors reading the characters. That yeah, they I just need to get, a, get my hands on that, that, that I'm looking forward to. I want to say Neil Gaiman's the narrator, but I'm not 100%. Mm-hmm. That would be excellent. Yeah, I need to listen to that. Especially, uh, that's how I'm going to cheat and finish it before the second season um, starts. Is I'm going to do the audiobook. <laughs> it's all the same words, right? So it's not like abridged yes. or anything. Cool. Now, there's like two separate editions. There's the author's preferred text, which is not the one I have. I have the originally published version. I think the uh, audiobook might be author's preferred text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure which I have. I think I, I, I mean, I picked up the, I've known about the novel forever and known I should read it, you know, and uh, the friendly found it at a garage sale a couple of years back and slowly crawled through most of it, but um, it's, I managed to leave it at my last place of residence and didn't bring it with me here. I, I lost it somewhere, maybe a girlfriend's house, actually. I don't know. I lose stuff. Uh, it's kind of my... Leaving thing. books with girls is the worst. <laughs> yeah. I have a first edition of Fantastic Mr. Fox I lost that way. Oh, no. I had my entire... Star, well, DVDs is my thing. I, I left my entire Star Wars sectilogy or whatever at one girlfriend's house on DVD and so I literally have no Star Wars movies in my house anymore it's kind of a sin Mm. 
it will be rectified someday with whatever comes after Blu-ray, probably. Yep. <laughs> it should probably just all be digital. But we digress. Um, yeah, so uh, I imagine you're you're enjoying the show. It's it's definitely yeah got the spirit of the book uh, and a lot of things ripped right out of it. And if anything, it's just more. It's like the the director's cut of the book. <laughs> it's it's like mm-hmm. they're expanding so many things and so many characters that I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, there's some definitely twists away from the book uh, later on in the season, which I was very surprised by, but I, I think it actually still enhances it. Uh, but anyway, this one, uh, a lot of stuff, uh, last season, our last episode and this one, there's a lot of stuff that's pretty much right from the book, and it was glorious. Uh, we open with another uh, Somewhere in America vignette, uh, as we see an elderly woman reaching for some food to aid in her cooking. Uh, she's cooking a meal for her grandkids, presumably, or family. And she's talking about the recipe to her cat, as I often do. Uh, just, it's the only one here. Uh, knock on the door is, and we meet an African-American man with a determined look on his face. But uh, Mrs. Fadil tells him he must have the wrong place. The black families live upstairs. Uh, <laughs> But he assures her that he is there for her is that she has died and he has to come with or she has to come with him. She argues the point, but then eventually sees her body on the floor, uh, which I, I guess we're meant to assume she uh, fell off the ladder. She was reaching for some ingredients or something or had a, a heart attack or something. And he offers comforting words about her family, finding her and how they will move on and all that and treat her body right and bury it and all that good stuff. And but she asks him why Anubis is uh, or Anubis is coming for her as uh, hers is a Muslim home, and he tells her that I think it was his her grandmother maybe that she was he was referencing. Yeah, she's uh, using a specific word that I don't remember what it was. This is a Muslim home. Why does Anubis hold out his hand for me? It is my thanks. You were once a girl with your own teacher taught you the ways of Egypt old. But when the Nile was full and flooding, she told you stories of the wolf and the jackal, the red wind and of the child of Bast. I remember. You do. For that, I bring you to the scales. Now she follows him, and after letting him try the meal that she has made that will probably not be eaten by the living, I just thought was a cute little addition. Uh, yes. They, they climb a literal fire escape stairway to heaven. Which just, just that was amazing. Great, great scene. Um, that uh, just, uh, you know, uh, followed also by her cat, of course. Uh, take note of that, kids. And, uh, yeah, the, the metal of the staircase finally gives way to stone, and, and she's brought to a desert scene and led to Anubis's scales. And he places a feather on one side and grabs her heart right from her chest without warning and places it on the other. And she says, hey, I was using that. <laughs> and he says, we will see if you used it well. And she starts rationalizing some of the very minor sins that she committed in her life. Well, I was rude to the first guy that loved me. And, you know, just all these really <laughs> minor things, you know, but the sta- uh, scale stays in balance. And he, he shows her these uh, five potential doors to go through, which apparently contain five different worlds or five different versions of the la- afterlife. 
And she only states that she doesn't want to go to the one where her father was because he used to beat her and be mean. And she begs him to choose because he's such a nice boy. And uh, then she hesitates at the door he chooses, worried about facing death uh, following the wrong god. But the choice is made for her through (laughs) her cat pushing her through the doorway, basically, because, uh, as Gaiman would say, all cats are best. Back to our primary. Now, I love this scene. It was just it evoked Sandman for me, not just because oh, it was very in much the yeah. desert, but just the the big stone monument type doors and you know the the celestial sh- shit going on overhead in the skies. And um, you know, that, by the way, kids, Gaiman wrote Sandman too, um, and there are actually tie-ins kind of through the comics and the books uh, peripherally. So nice to kind of give a little nod to to that motif in this uh, show. And back to our primary narrative, though, we find Shadow waking from sleep and making his way up to the roof of the building. And there, under an amazing sky, he meets the third sister, Zorya, Zorya, I don't even know, Polunya Chenyawa, something like that. Again, apologies, uh, complaints to Mindless Drivel at Yahoo.com. <laughs> and uh, it was a young, beautiful woman who was looking through a telescope. And she tells him about the, and the actress that plays her is actually Polish in, in origin. I uh, can't pronounce her last name either. She goes by uh, something Karazar K- or something like that. K A A R on uh, yeah. IMDb. Yeah, Erica Carr. Uh, and she uh, tells him about the great bear in the sky and that she must watch or the sisters must watch or will escape and, and destroy the world. She asks Shadow's birthday to tell his fortune and, and says that hers are the best because virgins have that advantage, apparently. Uh, I, I don't want my fortune told. My fortunes are the best. Virgins have the advantage. And now we have something. Oh. No. You have nothing. You believe in nothing, so you have nothing. You are on a path from nothing to everything. You had something recently. You lost it. My... my wife. Not your wife. Did you sell your head to Chernobog? Yeah. You keep giving away your life. You don't much care if you live or die, do you? The world's not what I thought it would be. You'd rather die than live in a world with bears in the sky. She says that uh, she can help him if he kisses her first. And then she aggressively kisses him and states that it is disgusting, but in a nice way, like blue cheese or brandy. Which is one of the best descriptions of kissing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that when she says he has to kiss her, she doesn't really give him the choice. No, no, it's just she you doesn't. kiss me and you are too now. Yeah. And, and then she kisses him. Hey, I'm, I'm same with the Same with the next thing she's about to That's do. That's a woman after my own heart right there. Just take what you want, lass. <laughs> she tells him to take the moon for uh, protection and literally plucks it out of the sky as a coin. And uh, she states it isn't quite as powerful as the sun that he had uh, had given up, which we kind of assume was Mad Sweeney's coin. And she commands him to wake up. 
He comes to uh, Chernabog's room, who states it isn't dawn yet, but Shadow offers him another wager. He plays on Chernabog's lack of practice in bashing things and offers to play him for a second swing at his head uh, against coming with Wednesday and still getting his first shot. So, you know, just in case he screws up the first shot, you know, doesn't kill Shadow. Now he's got that, or he wants that second, second go at it. And he can't resist, and the game is on. Meanwhile, it's a Brian Fuller show. When we see his feet, he has hammer toes. Oh yeah, you know I actually completely missed that, Pat. Good catch. <laughs> yep. I, no, I didn't even didn't even catch that. Awesome. His feet sticking out under the blanket, and he's got hammer toes. That's like the third time I've seen this episode too. That's <laughs> yeah. That's that's a that's a Brian Fuller thing to be sure. You can you know you just pack so many little details and everything. It's amazing. I, I, I'm simultaneously upset that he's not more involved in the new Star Trek and kind of relieved also because I'm not sure I want to see a Brian Fuller Star Trek after Hannibal. Mm, no. Just no, a little you. too far out there, which is a weird thing to say about science fiction, but <laughs> uh, I can't see the big... Uh, operatic blood effects working in a Star Trek show, and I don't think Brian can restrain himself on those. <laughs> Although, you know, the, the blood effects in uh, the new dis- uh, the undiscovered country there, uh, bad CGI. I was going to say. Were, <laughs> bad CGI as they were, were kind of Brian Fuller. They were amazing at the time. They were, you yeah. <laughs> know. Well, meanwhile, Wednesday is uh, playing a late night visit to Zoira Prime. And uh, our, our beloved Cloris Leachman, and clearly kind of macking on her a bit, you know, hoping for a little god nookie. I am Paul Blucher. Uh, he plays on her past when she had a court and servants, and he brushes her long hair and asks her to tell his fortune. And she says he will fail in his endeavors and they will win. But they, they go for a little walk, and the game continues, and Chernabog is getting frustrated with Shadow's banter and the fact that he is winning. And during the walk, Wednesday kisses her, and uh, the heavens open up with thunder and rain. Zoria tells him that she can taste him in the rain and wonders what else she can taste, and he smiles and tells her war. So the game is done, and Shadow has won, and Trinabog is resigned to his uh, his fate of only getting one swing, but reminds Shadow that he's, you know, still going to kill him. But he will meet him in, in Wisconsin for for uh, Wednesday's thing, Votan's thing, you know. Again, Google kids, you haven't figured out who Wednesday is yet. <laughs> I'm not helping you, but go for it. Shadow awakens and finds that there's no way he could have actually made it up to the roof last night. Basically, you know, can't get up there. So he's, you know, again, Shadow's just like, well, yeah, still stuck in this weirdo dream, apparently. But he still has the moon coin in his pocket. And Wednesday greets him and uh, asks him if he wants some coffee and tells him that they're going to rob a bank today. Just matter-of-factly, because why not? So we uh, cut to Mad Sweeney, who is passed out in the bathroom of the Crocodile Bar, and the, the bartender from episode one comes in brandishing a shotgun that Sweeney nonchalantly tells her won't work if she fires it. You know, don't push your luck, he says. But she shoots the beer out of his hand, which uh, ends up uh, embending some uh, glass right in his face, which is kind of a nice little effect. 
And then he's wandering down the road, and he's picked up by Scott Thompson of the Kids in the Hall and Hannibal. <laughs> That's fan. right, a fag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. good, good to see him in anything. I was lost it when he showed up in Hannibal. I'm like, no way, that's where he is. Uh, Sweeney is wary and basically thinks this guy's, you know, trying to get in his pants, but accepts. And uh, it turns out Scott isn't trying to rape him or kill him, at least not today. And he tries to talk to him about the program, 12-step program. He's uh, 11 years sober. So uh, Sweeney's increasingly bad luck takes over, however, and Thompson is speared through the head by a pipe that flies off a truck. And I will never follow a truck that has pipes on it ever again in my life. Um because of things like this and Final Destination, I've seen that movie. I avoid trucks at all possible opportunities. And it was kind of a glorious little effect, including, you know, just a torrent of blood coming out of the end of the pipe. Because <laughs> you got to go there. In the aftermath of the crash, Sweeney pulls handfuls of gold out of his pocket, but apparently can't find one particular coin. Hmm, wonder where that went. And we get our second somewhere in America in this episode as we uh, meet a man named Salim. And Salim arrives at an office for an interview to sell his products, uh, cheap baubles we learn later, and is ignored the entire day as he sits there waiting. Now, crestfallen, he leaves and gets in a taxi. His driver is a large Arabic man, and they chat about some Middle Eastern locations they've been to. And the driver has mysteriously been to this one city they're talking about that uh, was swallowed by the desert like a thousand years ago. So he, you know, Salim's kind of like, well, you must have been working on the excavation, right? And the driver's like, yeah, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Salim relates his tale of woe as he does, uh, as does the man who's driving him. And when he's, uh, the driver's nodding off in a traffic jam, his glasses slip down and he adjusts them. Salim uh, notices that his eyes are filled with fire. A grandmother once warned that she had seen an Efritor, perhaps a merit, late one evening on the edge of the desert. We are told that it was just a sandstorm. A little wind, but she had seen his face and its eyes, like yours, were burning flames. The grandmothers came here too. Are there many gin in New York? No. There are angels. There are men who were law made from mud. And there are the people of the fire. The jinn? They know nothing about my people here. They think all we do is grant wishes. If I could grant a wish, do you think I would be driving a cab? Having driven a fucking taxi cab, I have to concur that would not be anybody's wish. <laughs> yeah, you ever have to clean wet shit off the seat, though? Yes. Uh, well... <laughs> How about uh, vomit out of, you know, the, the armrests that have a little thing for, like, your lighter in them? Oh. Yeah. Chunks of vomit just filled with vomit. That was a fun night. That's my taxi story. Yep. <laughs> no shit, though, luckily. Kind of avoided blood, vomit, yes, no shit. I got lucky. Dodged that bullet. I had a guy get in my taxi one night who'd been beat up so bad his lip was, like, half hanging off of his face. And just uh. bleeding everywhere. <laughs> and drunk beyond words and didn't realize how fucked up he was. And uh, I begged him to let me take him to the ER, but he wouldn't. And I, I think I ended up 
kind of calling the cops anyway and being like, this guy yeah. really needs to go to the hospital. <laughs> As you do, yeah. Yeah. Another taxi story. There'll be a whole podcast on Mindless Drivel about the taxi <laughs> stuff someday, I, I promise. Probably several. Uh, but there, there is obviously a connection between the two, um, and, and they touch in the taxi, and later the djinn accompanies Salim to his room, and we were treated to another glorious American God's explicit sex scene. We was trying to raise the bar on this show, and it's doing it well. <laughs> and it's actually a very beautiful, I mean, visual sequence. Yeah, it's, it's, it was sweet. Yeah, I mean, it, it just... Two guys, two guys that didn't think they were going to find a connection that night. Yeah, and it's nice. It's it's very explicit and is long and it's uh, you know very very raw and, and probably pretty accurate. Don't know myself, but uh, yeah, Brian Fuller just uh, went for it in this scene. Basically, the whole show did. He didn't go for the cheap trick of the uh, popular song going on in the background either. No, 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 that wouldn't have really been appropriate in this one. Um, so that was cool. No, it was very tastefully done, very artfully done. And it did, at one point, it kind of transports you to the desert scene. And both partners are, like, in the black god flesh, essentially. And essentially, the genie ejaculates fire into his uh, partner, which was just kind of jaw on the floor. I can't believe yeah. I'm seeing this on television type of thing, but... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah if Zack Snyder had directed that rock the Casbah would have been playing <laughs> right oh my god now I, yeah, that's going to be stuck in my head every time I rewatch this <laughs> <laughs> any number of directors would have made that cheesy choice but uh, yeah, I don't know if I, if I don't see some Emmys going Brian Fuller's way for this show next time around I'm not going to be a happy camper um, Game of Thrones is one enough that's all I'm saying Next morning, the uh, Ifrit is gone, but we find that Salim has uh, taken over his sweater, glasses, and his taxi job, apparently, which apparently was his wish. So, mm-hmm. um, And he's apparently a step up from not selling cheap baubles. So, at the Great God Bank robbery, <laughs> Shadow is resisting Wednesday's illegal activities, of course, because just got out of prison, dude. You know, you kind of promised me you wouldn't do this to me. Wednesday offers Shadow some hot chocolate, though, which is very... F- with marshmallows. He's like, don't you like hot chocolate? And Shadow's just like, why are you talking to me about hot chocolate? And I'm like, yeah, of course I like marshmallows. He just kind of gives in. And he tells them that they uh, need a distracting storm for the for the caper and tells Shadow he needs to think about snow. So uh, Shadow nods off, and they reach a print shop to get some supplies. Uh, which also has this great little scene of like the car driving over marshmallows. Just they flash this one little graphic of the very, car. Very Brian Fuller. Yeah, it's just gorgeous stuff in this show, man. I, I'm sure that Guyman, you know, had seen some of his previous work, and when it came down to you know deciding people to hire for this, because he's very involved in it, you know, he's just like, yeah, th- this guy gets me. So he nods off again in the print shop. Oh, actually, Wednesday gives him a little low-down discussion on how many Jesuses there are. Thinks Jesus suffered for her sins. They're her sins. Why shouldn't Jesus do all the suffering? 
Because his dad sacrificed his ass. Don't blame the parent. Plenty of suffering and blame to go around. Although that white Jesus could stand a little more suffering. He's doing very well for himself these days. And how many causes does Jesus come in? Like you got your white Jesuit-style Jesus, you got your black African Jesus, you got your brown Mexican Jesus, you got your swarthy Greek Jesus. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a lot of Jesus. There's a lot of need for Jesus. So, there's a lot of Jesus. Evangelical Jesus, and Catholic Jesus, and black Jesus. And <laughs> yeah. so it's a Jesuit white Jesus is what he said. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, kind of surprising as somebody who knows a bunch of Jesuits that the word white comes to their mind immediately. Yeah. yeah. I, was, yeah I was lucky I didn't get that crammed down my throat. Yeah. The race, I didn't get the race thing with Jesus. Uh, I've, I've been a member of at least um, one, two, three, four different Christian denominations in my time now, so I guess I've had four separate Jesuses, technically, although, <laughs> although they were all kind of portrayed um, as, you know, the white Da Vinci Jesus. <laughs> so... <laughs> Never had a lot of diversity in my G's eye or whatever. Uh, so uh, shadow nods out and take note of that, kids, too, because we may or may not be meeting Jesus in the show or several of them. <laughs> shadow nods off again and sees uh, flakes being formed in his mind's eye. Snowflakes, of course, and he wakes to Wednesday telling him he thinks that's enough now. And Shadow's like, enough what? And he's like, snow, we don't want to shut down the whole damn city. Shadow looks out to see a vigorous snowstorm has begun. And his brain gets further baked. Before the caper, they dine and have a discussion about Shadow's struggles with his new reality. Uh, Madge Sweeney shows up looking for the coin that he gave him at the bar. And, uh, it was his lucky coin he accidentally gave him, but Shadow's like, you gave it to me, dude. And Wednesday's like, witness. And uh, but he's like, ah, oh, you shit out of luck. I threw it away in Indiana on my wife's grave. So Sweeney storms off to go get his coin, flips him off as he goes, and says, I'll see you in Wisconsin. Long story short, the con is for Wednesday to play a bank security employee who is sitting outside taking deposits because the ATM is down or some such thing. And Shadow is the phone man who cons the, the local cops with false info to get them off the trail. And as far as we know, it goes off without a hitch. Uh, back in the car, Wednesday tells him that America is the only country that doesn't know what it is. And Shadow kind of uh, argues that point, but he's like, I hadn't really thought about this way, this this way either. And it, it was kind of a brilliant little speech, but it's like, you don't see anybody looking for like the heart of Norway, you know, or, yeah. uh, you know, or finding you know, the soul of Mozambique. It's like every other country knows what they are. It's like this screwed up mud of a country doesn't know what it is. <laughs> my, my only gripe is that shadow in this whole section after it starts sh snowing is taken on the uh, Dr. Joel Fleischman from uh, Northern Exposure role. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, this is the universe that you're in, but you want to question everything and be annoyed by everything that's going on. I thought there was and it a, makes it a little bit less fun. Yeah, I think that was kind of the vibe in the book, though. Basically, I mean, he just he didn't really well, he didn't complain as much in the book. I don't think you know. I don't no. think he like openly in dialogue examined it as much, or you know, has many discussions. Which actually, I actually kind of like this better. I think that 
I think it makes more sense to me that he would be less just kind of accepting and rolling with things and that he would just kind of be like, am I going nuts? Could you please tell me if I'm going nuts, <laughs> you know, to Wednesday? So I don't know. Uh, it didn't take me out of it at all, but but good point. Uh, it's, you know, it's filler too. I mean, a, a lot of, you know, the shadow stuff in the book was internal dialogue, and I'm glad they're not really doing that to us, too. Yeah, that would not have been fun. Yeah. And, you know, anytime you can give, uh, what's his name? Um, get the, I can't think of Wednesday's actor's name now. Ian McShane. That's it, okay. I guess he's doing a grand old job. gentleman of TV right yeah, now. Yeah, but I, I can't, can't think of him. anything as Wednesday at this point, so he must be doing his job. But, you know, yes. giving excuses for him to chew more scenery, I'm never going to begrudge that, that's for sure. Because everything out of his mouth is just freaking gold in this show. <laughs> uh, so they have another discussion about, uh, you know, the nature of reality and belief, and Shadow basically asked, it's like, did I make snow? Uh, he also nearly hits a wolf uh, earlier on in the road, and, and Wednesday seems kind of overjoyed by that. Do you believe in love? I believe the shit out of love. Did you always? Not before Laura. So you didn't believe till you did, and then the world changed because you believed. Belief is only a product of the company we keep and how easily we scare, and you do not scare easily. And my company is questionable. Always has been. The only thing that scares me is being forgotten. I can survive most things, but not that. Finally, Mad Sweeney arrives at Laura's grave and proceeds to dig, and he finds the grave empty. And as Shadow enters his hotel room, he finds Laura sitting on the bed waiting for him. Hi, puppy, she says, and we fade to black. So... Hmm, curiouser and curiouser. Uh, the the whole, like, robbery thing, if I remember correctly, and, and the third sister and everything in this is really, really close to the book. Um, I don't know if you can concur that or not. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get a chance to pick up the book again before, <laughs> after watching the episode. I just finished watching it before we talked. But the big thing that I remember from, from the book, I remember the sister, but there was a whole part with an, on an Indian reservation right after the wife died Ooh. with Johnny Larch. Oh, okay. No, I don't recall that. It's been a while and since I read the first few chapters. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. And uh, we, we've only had Johnny Larch, you know, referenced from uh, Loki yeah. Lysmith in, in the prison in this one so far. Um, but okay, that's weird. And I, I don't think that the first uh, my, um, Somewhere in America wasn't... Was that in the books? Yeah, I think they did the... Yeah, the Viking one, the, yeah. No, not the the Viking one, the one with the, the woman, kind of the first introduction of Anubis. I can't recall. I know Honestly. they did the one with the djinn to a certain extent, but again, it wasn't like a, a recurring character. Most of these, some of these somewhere in America's and coming to America's in the book, for those of you who may not read it, you know, don't really do much for the rest of the story. They're just kind of scene-setting, world-setting things. But I like that the show is kind of taking some of these characters that were one-offs and, and are letting them continue in the show. Yeah, I'm really happy about that yeah. as well. Uh, I, I unfortunately I don't I don't see the uh, you know the third sister doesn't show up again at least in in this season. So no. I'm hoping maybe she shows up in Wisconsin with the rest of the family, but I don't 
I don't recall. Um, we don't even get to the house on the rock by the end of this season. So, <laughs> I think she and uh, she and Laura would probably get a little bit catty with one another. I would think, yeah. Little... <laughs> but overall, just a great, great episode. And um, yeah, they were, obviously they 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 don't shy away from the hard sex scenes in this show, and that may make some people uncomfortable. But if you're just watching this as the piece of art that it is, man. He, you need to put any of your personal feelings away and just kind of enjoy it for what it is. You know, you're, you're watching a hard R show, basically NC-17, more likely. This uh, the show has probably now exceeded the male penis shots <laughs> of any show anywhere in all of television history. So that's got that going for it, and it, it doesn't shy away from the female nudity either. But yeah, you know. <laughs> We, we we don't see it in in this episode, but Emily Browning, who plays Laura, was somebody that was teased since she was a kid as being really sexy, and that kind of bugged me to find to have her, it be her. Really? Yeah. Yeah, she did a series of unfortunate events, oh, and all okay. these right for like uh, oh, there's something right. up yeah. with having the kid do this, and then she was in Sucker Punch. Yeah, yeah. And now <laughs> this happens. And it's kind of like, I know this is a bizarre tangent, but it's like, I'm glad, I'm glad Natalie Portman never did like a, hey, fans of uh, The Professional, here's that you've been waiting for since I was 12. Right, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of creepy (laughs) when, when, you know, child actresses grow up and and start taking their clothes off, to be sure. I'd forgotten she was in... uh, series of unfortunate events the first one yep i actually saw her in a really creepy movie i started to check out but then was even too creeped out by it called sleeping beauty and i thought it was actually like a take on the myth you know the story but it was very not that oh dear it was it was essentially old men who uh pay to uh do their business over sleeping women <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's like one of those like i swear i didn't know what it was when i started watching officer pretty much I yeah I, I got about 10 minutes into that before i realized what the premise was and, and like i'm turning back now or my soul may be in trouble <laughs> i'm sure it didn't show it in like a good light it was probably you know this is bad <laughs> and bad things will happen i think it was actually like a murder mystery type thing eventually <laughs> but I, I didn't want to get that far into it a lot of people watch law and order special victim unit who really don't care about the consequences of what happens to the criminals on that show right right but yeah so um yeah and sucker punch i I'm happy Emily's making better career choices. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's good that she got this gig, so it hopefully will wash away the the, the smell of uh, Sucker Punch, at least, because that was smelly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zack Snyder's shining, shining opus. Uh, yeah, that's the guy I'd hire to take care of Superman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's another podcast that's already been done several times. <laughs> So, uh, I don't know, man. What do you think? Uh, I, I am. By the time I saw this one, I was obviously fully invested in the show. Uh, and it's just gloriously shot. And um, 
I say that every podcast. So I'm happy with what we're getting. I mean, we need the whole arc. We need the whole arc to be able to judge the show by. Right. We need to see how we need to see it come to its conclusion. I hope. I really hope they can do that in two seasons. I I don't. I mean, I think they've. I've read talks about them wanting to take it as far as they can. You know, but I mean, eventually you have to kind of get to the resolution of things too. Yeah. Shadow did. Shadow did other stuff though. Yeah, a lot of other stuff. Uh, there's yeah. a short. There's a short story about him in uh, in Europe that Neil Gaiman did, and you can also do the uh, Nancy Boy story too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know if they'll go there with this or not. I hope so because Orlando Jones is killing it too, as Mister. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I'd love to see as much of him as they want to give us. That's the only problem with some of these adaptations and one moving this slowly, because um, literally by the end of this season, not to spoil anything, but you're maybe a third of the way into the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's really crawling uh, as far as moving the plot along. And so I I, I wonder if, see, I, I see Game of Thrones going through this syndrome a little bit now that they they've did this long form storytelling kind of probably hoping that George Martin would finish it for them and realizing suddenly that he's not and, yep. uh, you know, kind of having to speed up, you know, I always joked, I don't know if you watch game of Thrones or not. I do. I'm caught up. So, yeah, but I mean, they're doing this video game, fast travel stuff on it. Now there's just like, they've completely discarded any pretense of, of, making it realistically time-wise, you know, you're just kind of like, all right, we just are going to move people where they need to be and film it <laughs> and not worry about yeah. anything that happens in between point A and point B anymore. Um, when I got to the fifth book, I was kind of wishing that Martin would do that. Yeah. Because oh, he, sure. he put everybody in jail in the books. Yeah. And then he introduced, and then he introduced a whole bunch of new characters. <laughs> Great, yeah. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> And in this show, just I, I I love that they're fleshing out a lot of the other characters, but it it, it runs the risk of getting too unwieldy too. I think, and yeah, not being able to move the story along as as well. I think it's just going to result in us having a this bigger cast at the House on the Rock, or at least a different cast. You know, more populated with the people that they're showing us in this season. You know, as opposed to some of the ones that were there in the book that we didn't really get to know much about beforehand. So that makes and, yeah, over, sense. Yeah. Over 60 years old, uh, character theater is, uh, character actor theater is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. What we're getting a lot of. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I, I love it. Yeah, all Fiona Flanagan actors. later on in there is, is excellent as the Irish woman and there's a few other. Yeah, oh, I, the Cloris Leachman stuff has just been. Yeah, cold. I mean, I just uh, you know, aside from the fact I got to use the Frau Blucher horses three times <laughs> in the last podcast. But, <laughs> yes, we have to do it again now. Damn it! <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they just could not have chosen a better cast of people and i just hope they can keep them all and 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 yes. service the story well enough because gaiman's always said that he's gonna you know do a, a sequel too eventually but he's in george martin territory or that now too so uh yeah at least at least he's you know around making appearances and stuff yeah Neil Gaiman, the scene is not as enjoyable to me as Neil Gaiman, the author, but a lot of people seem to really love 
Neil Gaiman the scene. So. I just saw a really good documentary on him. I don't remember exactly the name of, but I, I'd recommend. Uh, yeah, I might like to watch. Up. Yeah, just I'm sure if you just IMDb him or something, you'll you'll find it. Um, but it was really was good. The greatest thing in the world to me in high school, and so was this local musician, Jason Webley. And then somehow, when. Neil Gaiman married his current wife. This this weird local homeless musician was really good friends with the with his wife, and is now a really big deal because of Neil Gaiman. And it's like all these things that were niche to me in high school are like the greatest thing in the world now that I'm in my thirties. Yeah, nice. I, I can't remember. I think I I might have even seen Neverwhere before. I I yeah, I read Sandman quite a while ago. Um, wasn't right when it came out, but I ended up scaring up you know the whole whole run and, and reading it and I'm in the middle of reading it again right now yeah that was 7th through about 10th grade for me as, it, as I started it as it was ending mm-hmm. and I've, I've kicked myself for years for not having read you know American Gods because I've, I've, I did see and read Neverwhere and uh, said I know his comics and I just read his stuff in Hellblazer recently and he just never fails to Stardust was a great movie. Never got to read it, but Coraline was an awesome movie. Never got to read yeah. that either. But um, Did you read uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane? No, no. Imagine if Neil Gaiman wrote it, but it's it's considerably really? shorter. Nice. That would be a plus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just really love the way he crafts characters, and they're just so they're so out there, but they're also so kind of human and relatable too. And when you're doing a story about literally gods, it's just man, filling them with, uh, making them all these great character actors just brings them down to earth even more. And then when they do, yeah. do godlike stuff, it's even more kind of impressive. <laughs> I mean, Peter Stormare just, uh, he's just so, yeah. I mean, he always is like, he just turned up like the sleaze factor to eleven compared to what he usually does, which is always the sleaze factor turned up to eleven. So, yeah, it's just the way they shoot him, and they just must cover him in greasy sweat makeup every time. <laughs> it's just awesome. And man, I'm I'm seriously in lust with the third sister there. That is a beautiful actress they got she's playing. She's a cutie. Holy crap! And she needs to, she's uh, got a pretty good resume though. She does a lot of BBC stuff and. Oh, good. And uh, looks oh, yeah, some Polish stuff too. It said her, her original name was Erica Karkuzyska, something Polish. Um, so yeah, it's actually a bunch of Polish TV series and stuff she's hmm. done, and some BBC, The Passing Bells, Bodo. But this is like her her first mainstream American thing, so. Good for her. That's good. I do. I do hope she ends up somehow in more episodes. Yeah, only seven, seven movies to her credit. Yeah, one episode. Oh, she's actually acted in Bollywood movies. AJ Devon yeah. or something like that. Wow, she is a stunning looking woman, though. Yeah, I'm in trouble with my new girlfriend. All right. <laughs> so I guess um, Orlando Jones recommendations. If uh, the audience has not seen. The movie Liberty Heights. It's Orlando Jones as a gangster at odds with uh, Joe Montaigne. Ooh. Got and, it. yeah. And then Cloris Leachman film that I just watched from 1955. Um, K. 
Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot that it's her in that, too. Yeah, she's the lady he picks up in the car at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's a classic. Um, she's Pants just, just, all the way through the uh, opening <laughs> credits. <laughs> she's always just uh, Frau Blucher to me, man. And there's the horses again. I, I can barely think of her. I've seen her in many things, and I can barely think of anything but Young Frankenstein is some of those iconic roles that she's never going to escape. But And the, the one-legged mother on Malcolm in the Middle. That was Chorus? Yeah. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, she that. played uh, What's-Her-Name's, What's-Her-Face's, uh, the maternal grandmother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they have to go to, like, a, you know, like an old country dance where they're playing with swords and stuff and she's hopping on her leg the whole time yeah oh she did the croods recently she does some voice acting work too good to see the the greats still working too uh chase yeah i mean if you know nothing about the show or the book man you just watch this just for the acting it would yep be worthy of your time uh just really just fantastic it really is i gotta compare this with like another recent adaptation that i'm watching which is the the adaptation of stephen king's the mist which is really a horrible show (laughs) i figured it would be i haven't even made an attempt it's really sucking bad and it's like it's like under the dome was too which started out kind of good um because it was going with the book mostly but it's just it's the thing that really makes it is if the actors you can just tell when actors are are phoning it in or they're really invested in their material and maybe a lot of it's the writing but uh, i think good writing makes for better acting performances too but there's just not one bad performance in this whole show at anywhere you know not even small parts and that's just such the key to it all um, and stuff like the mist is just everyone or just everybody is just horrible in it. <laughs> it just really are. And what's her name? Frances O'Connor's on that show, isn't she? From uh, Six Feet Under, old older lady. Yeah, red, think, is that her? Red hair on Six Feet Under. Might be. Let me check real quick here. I don't know, there are some good character actors. They're just phoning it in. It's just, they're just giving nothing to work with, I guess, because it's just, it's, I'm not believing any of it. And there's not even, you know, it, it's obviously they didn't get the best special effects budget in the world because they're not really showing you much that's going on in The Mist. Well, that, <laughs> the movie of The Mist was really fun. I mean, yeah. at least that exists. I mean, it's, you know, Stephen King always says there's so many adaptations of his work. It's like, the book's still there. Right. He's kind of a whore, though. I, he he kind of gives yeah. his his like endorsement of everything. He like always says yeah. the same thing about every adaptation. Oh, it's great! I completely approve of this. They totally got this, you know, spirit of my book. And it's just like you don't have to do Francis Conroy. That's her name. She plays it. Yeah, Nathalie. Yeah, she's actually very good in it. Um, there are some good moments, and they are kind of a. Uh, they're kind of working the whole, you know, people are, are, are worse enemy than than the monsters angle, but they're it's almost too much. They're not showing us any monsters, basically, <laughs> so it's kind of boring. And they've they've done something a little different. Yeah, I than watched this. Uh, I watched the Dark Tower this weekend. Yeah, I've I'm disappointed with the reviews I've read. And uh, here's the as its own thing, 
it's so throwback to 80s to that weird 80s genre of a nerdy kid has his own superhero movies right yeah like yeah. um like cloak and dagger with dabney yeah. colin and yeah, stuff like that, that. so yeah. that for from from that perspective it's actually a really fun little hour and a half movie but if you were and i'm a huge dark tower fan yeah so yeah it doesn't really hold any of that in it but there i mean easter eggs all over the place jackie earl haley plays the head of uh a butcher shop in it kind of preacher oh, callback um ends up being he's sarah in it isn't he kind of yeah yeah yes so, spoilers, um, but yeah, but that's what I've read. That it's it's not horrible. It's a serviceable little action movie, but it's just it's not. It's not you know the Dark Tower should have been Stephen King's or uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring trilogy. It should have been three three and a half hour movies, you know, <laughs> or something. It's like still that. good. Yeah, really, it's still I, good. It's not like that animated Hobbit stayed the Hobbit forever. Yes, yes, please, yes. I'm not a fan of the new Hobbit at all. I like the first one, but it's just I was never a, a fan of the idea of turning the Hobbit into three movies in the first place. It's just like there are good ways to do an adaptation in bad ways, and apparently this was apparently this one needed the Hobbit treatment, and it got yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'll I'll probably wait for it to go on on disc. I almost went to see it this weekend, but. The reviews kind of put me off of it, which is sad. Yeah, it's 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 definitely worth watching, but if yeah. as long as long as you're not expecting a good adaptation of uh, the Dark Tower, because not it's not an adaptation of any of the books. Right. Yeah, I understood that it was like basically a sequel, which makes sense in that universe. But yeah, do, do they even bother trying to explain that in the movie? Because that would bake some people's brains. I think that. Sort of. Um, they don't ever. They don't ever even say the word "ka." So. Yeah. Uh, see, I just no, <laughs> and no lobstrosities. I take it. No. Yeah, uh, see, that's that's the deal breaker for me. <laughs> oh well, this adaptation, however, I am enjoying thoroughly, and it's already long gone this season anyway. But. Yep, I'm gonna, looking forward to, to rewatching it to, to talk more about it. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try to speed this along and, and take care of this in the next few weeks. Is Mr. Delmore here? Uh, Have you seen? I need to find it and share it on the uh, Cantina. So somebody made a, mo- a fan film of the story where Doctor D has everybody trapped in the diner. Just did a word for word adaptation of that story. The twelve hours or. Where Doctor Destiny kills all the people in the diner. Uh huh. Really? It was amazing. I could imagine. I, yeah, I could. I yeah, really didn't want to like it. I really didn't want to like it. I was like, oh, you know, this is just. I'm gonna. It's been, it's been so long since I read it. I was like, this is gonna be just a violence for violence sake thing. I'm gonna watch this and hate this. I loved it. I love fan films, man. Yeah, yeah. They're going to do the serial killer convention next. Oh shit! Oh my god! Yeah, with the, with the Corinthian. <laughs> yeah, they did a teaser for it with the scene where the uh, Corinthian kills the two uh, or captures the two teenagers. Right. Oh my god! 
Yeah, so, I'll never find that shit, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, uh, I'll I'll dig it out and I'll put put it on the cantina. Yeah, I really love fan films. Everyone I've seen is just like because they're fan films, man. You know, yep. even though they have no budget or anything, there's there's heart behind them. Uh, there's been some great Batman ones over the years, and great everyone. I mean, I even like the the grit. I thought they should have gone this way. The I don't know if you saw the gritty. Uh, Fucking Power Rangers one that that came out a, a couple of years yes. ago that they did that was kind of really cool looking. <laughs> I kind of wanted to see that movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about the one they just put out, but there was never much no. Power Rangers fan. But you know, I appreciate the genre. Yeah, I was the target <laughs> audience for it. I was in fifth grade when that started, and I was there. I was there for the first episode, and was like, "This is dumb." Yeah. But I, I had plenty up, of friends who were the same age as me that loved it. Yeah. Well, see, I grew up watching stuff like Ultraman and, and Kaiju stuff, so it was like, uh, silly suits, monsters? Yeah, sure, why not? It kills a half hour. <laughs> now, luckily, we had Animaniacs at the same time, and that was good. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, sir. I think we should probably wrap this up, unless you have more yeah. to say about this episode. No, I am, I am tapped out. Thank you again for joining me, and we'll definitely have you back for the rest of these if you want, man. So that's uh, Mindless Trouble for another week or month or however long it takes me to get these things out. <laughs> I'm going to try to accelerate things a little bit um, and get this finished uh, so we can get these done before the next season starts at least. would be nice. Um, so I'm Scott McGregor, Patrick Dunmore. And See you later, folks. Bye now. Bye. Are you ready for some Star Trek? Are you ready to smile? Let them entertain you tonight. Star Trek entertains you. Star Trek entertains you. Star Trek The Next Generation was my life as a kid. It was my everything. It was my friends, my drama, my relationship to how I should conduct myself. It was the escape from reality and all the good stories. Star Trek The Next Generation was a show that everybody I interacted with seriously as a kid knew. My parents knew this show. My teachers knew this show. My friends knew this show. Star Trek The Next Generation was truly a community to me. It ran from when I was 5 to when I was 12. Can you believe it's been 30 years Star Trek The Next Generation first aired? 30 years? No kidding. What a coincidence. You know, i got a great idea. What's that, Sasha? Why don't we release a watch-along episode with each concurrent release date of the anniversary of that episode? That would be amazing. We could talk about what the episodes mean to us, make a few jokes, and sing a few songs. Make sure to catch Sasha and Patrick's debut episode of Next Generation's First Generation on September 28th, released on iTunes, Libsyn, or early release on Facebook on our page entitled Next Generation's First Generation Podcast, or do the quick search of Next Gen First Gen. Or you could email us at nextgenfirstgenpod at gmail.com.